Welcome to our weekly podcast. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Later on in the message, we're also going to be in Matthew chapter 6, so you can find both of those places. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, friends, we're in week five of a message series called Marks of a Healthy Church. For several weeks this summer, we're talking about some of the essential marks or characteristics that all healthy churches have in common. These are the things that the early church was devoted to and the things that we're called to be devoted to as well. So far, we've talked about the essential marks of biblical preaching and teaching, authentic biblical community or fellowship, and then last week we talked about sacrificial generosity. And my hope is that these messages have served as a reminder to us about what's truly important in the life of the church and that they've encouraged us in our walk with Christ. The essential mark that we're going to focus in on today will be familiar to most, if not all of us, because it's a topic that I've preached on several times in the past, and it's something that we value as a church. Today's mark is found at the end of verse 42, which says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, the early church was devoted to prayer. Not only were they devoted to prayer, but they were people of prayer. The goal was not just to pray more, but to develop a sincere prayer life. First century Christians were people of prayer, and I believe that God wants us to be people of prayer as well. Now, just like the topic of giving and generosity, uh, prayer is not always the most exciting thing to talk about. I think that's because most people, if we're honest, would admit that we struggle with prayer in some way. You know, we have short attention spans, especially the men, and the idea of sitting quietly and talking to God doesn't always sound that exciting. But prayer is meant to be a vital part of our daily walk with Christ, and it's a mark or a characteristic that all healthy churches have in common. Uh, Prayer is an amazing gift that God has given us. It's also a partnership with God. And one of the primary ways that we grow in our faith, that we grow in our relationship with him. Prayer provides an opportunity for us to draw near to God and for God to draw near to us. We're reminded in James chapter 4 verse 8 that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. That's what the Bible says. You know, God loves us and wants to be close to us. And prayer is one of the best ways we can draw near to God. I remember back when I was in junior high, and I had my uh, first official girlfriend, if you could call it that. Now, when I was in junior high, guys and girls would write notes back and forth in class, and if they liked each other, sometimes the note would say something like this. I like you. Do you like me? (laughs) And uh, there'd be two or three boxes at the bottom of the note that read, yes, no, and maybe. Now, you were supposed to check one of these boxes. And if your answer was yes, you'd check that particular box. And then you'd be boyfriend and girlfriend for like a week or so. And if your answer was no, you'd check the box that said no. 
and then you'd look for other fish in the sea. Um, but the maybe box, that was always the worst box because it left the other person hanging, you know, without a solid answer. Now, on Sunday, I'm going to ask people if they've ever, uh, you know, written notes like this or received notes, um, but I can't get a response from you. So just think about that for a moment. Have you ever uh, sent or received a note like that when you were in school? You know, my guess is that you probably have. If you've ever wondered if God likes you, if you've ever wondered if God cares about you, that he's aware of the needs in your life, you know, the answer is absolutely yes. And not only does God like you, but he wants you to be near to him every single day. That truth never changes, but we make it difficult because we have busy schedules and we tend to forget about God during the day. But God never stops seeking us and he wants us to draw near to him regardless of what's going on in our lives. You know, prayer has a long history that goes all the way back to the first family in the Bible. Now, the first time that we read about prayer is in Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, had two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, these two sons couldn't have been more different from one another. Abel loved the Lord, and Cain didn't. Cain didn't even like his own brother, so he decided to kill him. Towards the end of Genesis 4, we read about how Adam and Eve had a third son after their son Abel was murdered by Cain. This son's name was Seth. And when he was born, God's word tells us that men begin to call on the Lord. Men begin to call on the Lord. Friends, that's how prayer began all the way back in the book of Genesis. About five generations later, we read in Genesis 5 verse 21 that Enoch, who is a descendant of Seth, walked in close fellowship with God. You know, walking with someone or in close fellowship with someone, that usually requires talking. I think this is another great example of someone walking with God and talking with God through prayer. Next, we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, that Noah walked in close fellowship with God as well. Noah walked with God. He communicated with God in a very personal way. Years later, we read in Genesis 13, verse 4, that Abram, who would uh, later have his name changed to Abraham, that Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram was a man of prayer. He walked in close fellowship with God. In Psalm 37, verse 4, King David wrote these words, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. That, that idea of delighting yourself in the Lord, that's walking in fellowship with God. That's communicating with God. That's prayer. And then about a thousand years later, we get to Jesus in the New Testament, the Son of God. You know, Jesus was fully God and fully man. We know that he was a man of prayer. He was someone who taught others how to pray. Of all the things that the early disciples witnessed Jesus do, the miracles that he performed, his teachings, and the compassion that he had on others, the only thing that they ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do was how to pray. These men had a front row seat to all of these things, yet for some reason, they wanted to learn how to pray like Jesus. Jesus was a man of prayer who taught others how to pray big, bold prayers. Now, a really cool fact about all of these illustrations of prayer in the Bible is that they're all from the family line of Jesus that goes all the way back to Seth, the son of Adam in the Old Testament. Now, Seth was a man who honored and loved the Lord, and a lot of people in his family line honored and loved the Lord as well. His brother Cain, on the other hand, decided to go down a different path. It was a path of disobedience, a path of drawing away from the Lord. In fact, we don't know a whole lot about Cain other than there was more murder in his family line. And I believe this is one of the first examples of generational sin. 
God's people have been people of prayer since the beginning of human history. Today, I want to take a practical approach to prayer, giving you an easy tool that you can use that will hopefully encourage you to grow in your own prayer life as you look for opportunities to pray throughout your day. The outline that we're going to use was shared with me by a pastor friend of mine from Indiana. He sent this to me in 2018, and I just haven't done anything with it until this point. But I felt like the time was right uh, to pass this on to our church family. So as I do, I hope this will help us grow as people of prayer. Now, you're probably familiar with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. As part of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer as a model for prayer. Now, back in 2020, I spent two weeks preaching through the Lord's Prayer. I did that really verse by verse. So that's not what I'm going to do today. Today, I'd like for us to use the Lord's Prayer as a model for how we can pray throughout the day. If you're taking notes, the first step that we're going to talk about that comes directly from the Lord's Prayer is this. In the morning, get up with gratitude. In the morning, get up with gratitude. We see this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. It says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Sometimes in the morning, uh, we get up with groans instead of gratitude. For example, if I'm asleep and one of my kids gets up way too early, I'll wake up with groans instead of gratitude. I get up and I'm not a happy camper. Being woken up before you're ready to get up on your own is just the worst, isn't it? (laughs) Now for my kids, their excuse for waking up too early is usually this. You know, the sun is up, so I thought that I should get up. I don't think that's a very good excuse. (laughs) So this first point, this first step, is a reminder to get up with gratitude. And the thing about gratitude is that gratitude is a choice. It's an attitude. It's choosing to wake up thinking about the right things and being grateful that God has given you another day. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So the Bible reminds us that each day is a gift that God has given us. Each day is another opportunity for us to live for God by serving our families and others well. Now, I think one of the best ways to wake up with gratitude is to write down some of the things that you're thankful for, some of the things that you're grateful for the night before, or to share at least one thing that you're grateful for with your spouse just before you go to bed. So this can be, you know, your kids, It can be your work, it can be your church family, whatever it is. Now, on Sunday morning, I have a fun exercise that I'm going to ask our church family to be a part of. Um, You're listening online, so you're not going to be able to do that. But I'm going to ask our church family to share one thing that they're thankful for, one thing that they're grateful for with the person sitting next to them. Uh, What I'm going to ask you to do is to find a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil and write down one thing that you're grateful for. And then sometime throughout the day, find a way to share that with someone else. I think this is a great way to get up with gratitude. You know, when you get up in the morning, uh, pray and thank God for who he is and for what he's done in your life. Remember that he knows what you need before you even ask. In the morning, get up with gratitude. The second step that I'd like to talk about is this. At breakfast, bless God. At breakfast, bless God. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Uh, This word hallowed has to do with having reverence towards God and being grateful to God. But it's also a word of praise. What if we learned to praise or bless the name of God every day before we left the house? 
I think if you can learn how to get up with gratitude, how to start your day by thanking God, then it's only natural to spend a few moments praising him as well. Now, I think this step is easy to remember if you start your day in God's word. So at breakfast or just before you get started with your work, read God's word and then spend a few moments in prayer praising him. And if you don't know what to praise him for, just pray what you read in his word. You know, Psalm 145 verse 2 says, I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Friends, do you look for opportunities to praise God every day? I think taking that opportunity to praise or bless God before you head out the door, that's going to set the course of your entire day. So at breakfast, bless God. The third step is this. At mid-morning, remember what matters most. Remember what matters most. Most Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are a lot of things that matter most to us. You know, we have needs, our health matters to us, our safety, our relationships. And these things already occupy a lot of our time. They occupy a lot of our thoughts and prayers. And God cares about these things. But Jesus taught us to pray kingdom prayers, not just prayers for our own health and safety. So this step is all about praying about the things that matter most to God. It's praying for his will and for his purposes to be done. I want to encourage you to pray kingdom prayers before you pray for your own needs. Pray for the missionaries that we support who are serving in the trenches, spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus in countries that are hostile towards Christianity. Pray for the work that's being done right here in our own church. Pray for the various ministries here. Pray for the community that we're a part of, that families would put God first in their lives. Pray for enemy nations, that their leaders would come to know Jesus in a real way. Pray that God's will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, praying about what matters most to God means praying for God's will and for his purposes to be done in our lives, in our church, in our community, and around the world. So at mid-morning, remember what matters most. Pray about what matters most. Step number four, at lunch, list my needs. At lunch, list my needs. Matthew chapter six, verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. You know, our daily bread represents the things that we need every day. It's what we need at work, you know, maybe going into that next meeting. Uh, For our kids, it's what they need at school. Uh, Married couples, it's what you need in your marriages. It's what we need in our parenting and our relationships. And and it's what we need in our finances, you know, to take care of and support our families. This step is all about praying for what we need today. It's important to remember that God promises to always meet our needs, not our greeds. So this is not an opportunity to list and pray about our greeds, but to go to God in prayer, asking him to meet our daily needs. So once you get up with gratitude, have blessed or or praised God at breakfast, once you've taken the opportunity to pray for God's will and for his purposes to be done, take your needs to God. And I think a great time to do this is at lunch when you're eating a meal that God has provided. Thank God for meeting your needs and pray about any other needs that you might have. At lunch, list my needs. Step number five, in the afternoon, ask God for forgiveness. In the afternoon, ask God for forgiveness. Uh, This is an important step. We see this in Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. 
So this step is a great reminder for all of us to be aware of our own sins and to humbly go to God, confessing that sin to him and asking for forgiveness. It's also an opportunity to ask God to help us forgive the people in our life whom we need to forgive. If you're a Christian, you're called to be an agent of forgiveness. You should be all about forgiveness. That's because you've been forgiven in Christ. And since you've been forgiven in Christ, you're called to forgive the people in your life who have hurt and who've wronged you. So instead of allowing unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment to take root in our lives, we freely forgive because we have been forgiven. So in the afternoon, remember to ask God for forgiveness and look for those opportunities to forgive others. Step number six, uh, heading home, ask God to help me make wise decisions. Heading home, ask God to help me make wise decisions. We see this in verse 13, the first half of that verse. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this step is extremely practical, but it's often overlooked. In fact, it's probably the most overlooked out of all of these steps. So after work or school, when you're on your way home, or maybe you're at home and waiting for the rest of the family to get home, take a few moments and pray that God would help you make wise decisions at home. Did you know that 90%, 90% of family arguments happen just one hour before dinner? Now, we've all experienced this. You get home from a long day at work. The kids are tired from school. There's a list of things that need to be done around the house. Uh, Someone is trying to get dinner ready, and tensions are high. Now, whether this describes your home or not in this season, it's so important that we ask God to help us make wise decisions for when we get home. I think a great verse to remember for when you're tempted to say or do something that's potentially hurtful is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The Apostle Paul penned these words. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You know, we're all alike in that we've all been tempted to unload on the people we love most, especially when we're having a bad day. So asking God to speak to you before you speak to others, this is going to guard your heart. It's going to guard your mind. It's going to help you overcome the moments when you're tempted to say or do something that's potentially hurtful. Now, the key here is that we can't do this on our own. Right? We have to rely on God's strength and his guidance in our lives. We need his strength. We need his guidance. I want to take a few moments and talk directly to the men. You know, men, as the spiritual leaders in our families, we help set the tone in our homes. We do. Now, personally, I have to admit that I'm guilty of not always setting the best example and the kind of tone that God wants me to set in my home. But this step will help remind all of us to allow God to speak to us before we speak to others, especially our families. It will remind us to be intentional about loving and serving our families well. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't vent. You know, we all need to vent every now and then. It just means that we take our issues to God first. We ask him to help us make wise decisions at home. So heading home, ask God to help me make wise decisions. The final step, step number seven is this. Before bed, end my day with an encouraging truth. In my day with an encouraging truth. We see this in the last half of verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So before you go to bed at night, 
Try and remember some of the verses that you read earlier in the day or try to remember the sermon that was given on Sunday. Remember that God is in control. Even when life is tough, even when you're going through the storms of life, he's still on the throne. He still has a plan and a purpose for your life. Remember that this is not the end of the story. Remember that, that God and his family win in the end. Right? If you're on God's team, you know the ending. Right? You know that you win. So instead of ending the day with the evening news, I want to encourage you to end with an encouraging truth from God's word. Friends, God wants us to be people of prayer. We should be devoted to prayer. And learning how to pray throughout the day is one of the best ways that we can grow in our faith and in our prayer life. So the question becomes this, what can we do to help us remember to pray throughout the day? I want to give you three short but practical steps that you can take. Number one, decide today. That's the key. Decide today, not tomorrow or next week. Decide today that you're going to develop your own habit and schedule for regular prayer throughout the day. Um, Nobody can make that decision for you except you. Number two, uh, keep today's outline somewhere visible so that you're reminded to pray throughout the day. So keep it on the dash of your car. uh, Keep it in your Bible. Keep it on the fridge at home. Just somewhere where you can see it. And then number three, uh, get a prayer partner. You know, this can be a family member or a friend. It needs to be someone that you know and someone you trust. But I would encourage you to find a prayer partner that's the same gender. So men with men and women with women. That's so important. So a quick recap. Uh, decide today that you're going to develop your own habit, your own schedule for regular prayer throughout the day. Uh, keep this outline somewhere visible and get a prayer partner. You know, developing a new habit can take some time. And uh, I want to encourage you with this. If you miss one day, that's okay. Just decide that you're not going to miss two. And don't allow two to turn into three and three into four. Make prayer a priority. You know, the truth is, and we don't like to hear this, but we make time for what matters most. We make time for what matters most. If you prioritize prayer, you're going to make time for it. And if you do, I want you to know that you're going to recognize God working in your life and in your family in such a powerful way. So let's take steps to grow in our prayer life. Friends, let's be people of prayer.